0: The Open Risk Manual defines fraud risk as unexpected financial, material, or reputational loss as a result of fraudulent action of persons internal or external to the organization. Now, the 2016 report to the Nations by the Association of Certified Fraud Examiners in the U.S. noted that professional fraud examiners estimate that a typical organization loses about 5% of its revenue to fraud. Now, in a very competitive market, that 5% could represent your profit margin, right? The median losses from Asia Pacific. Pacific in terms of fraud is around 245,000, which is, according to the report, 104% more than that of the US. In today's podchats for future CIO, we speak to Mr. James Zellander, director with Futurum Research, on the topic of fraud risk in financial services. James, welcome to podchats for future CIO. Thank you, Alan. Thank you for the kind introduction. How would you define fraud risk in the context of the financial services industry, and I mean banking, finance, and insurance in Asia?
1: I think it's easier to probably define it by some examples of what common fraud is and what we've seen over the last few years. Um, so you know, I'll break it down into the banking, the financial sector and, and insurance. You know, Through banking, what we've seen is the use of government-backed loan schemes. Of course, there's money laundering in the form of borrowed accounts and application fraud. And I'll go on to explain a little bit more about that later and the movement of funds through international transactions. Recently, we had a case where we were in investigating for a firm around the use of uh, false or forged instruments in an advanced fee fraud where standby letter of credit had been used which is a very common use to in effect legitimize the transaction and then of course you can move on to the cyber fraud and the use of email wire fraud and phone scams and commonly what you're seeing around this is the use of social engineering to create some of the form of legitimacy again and appear genuine when approached. Further examples of fraud you know and in in that context So the financial services, what you're seeing is the phishing type scams from what appear to come from banks could be impersonating senior members of an organisation to make an urgent transfer or going across to forged documents for invoices to be paid, revised contracts or invoices with new payment details. And lastly is really looking around insurance fraud. There was recently quite a sophisticated level of fraud where they used a high compensation critical illness policy and they found a cancer sufferer to assist in a claim who were of similar Asian appearance to the policyholder. And actually involved was the insurance agents, policyholder, the intermediaries and the cancer patients who were all paid bribes or rewards. And this is also extended into the using of employees in in the insurance company in that recent case. As a final point, I just wanted to really just touch on the cryptocurrency fraud. And what we've seen a lot of recently is these broker platforms that are targeting investors to place funds for substantial returns. And of course, it's decentralized and currently unregulated in many forms. So it can be appealing to some people because of that nature of it being decentralized. However, you know, with the banks, there is a level of control. But in this form, it's multi-jurisdictional and these companies are in one place and they target clients in others. So this cryptocurrency Currency fraud seems to be hugely on
0: the rise at the moment. Media coverage suggests that fraud risks are on the rise, especially in the last couple of years with the COVID pandemic. In your view, where are fraud risks most prevalent in our region and why do you think that? So I I would say
1: not just in, you know, the region of Asia or Asia Pacific, I think it's prevalent globally. There is some information that I've read recently that, you know, certain countries like the Philippines or Vietnam has seen, you know, sharp increases. I'd say one of the biggest issues that affects fraud currently globally is COVID. Predominantly communication 10, 20 years ago would have been across the counter within banks. But now it's much more common via the email phone. And with COVID, banking counters have been closed, which limits our face-to-face interaction. And so therefore it creates an opportunity and a form of reality for the customer that when they're being asked to do something, it sort of legitimizes it. So there's an area which I think is very interesting at the moment, which is this deep fake technology. And what that is, is AI, the artificial intelligence, and and machine learning, which is at the heart of this form of technology. And it's using a data set of images, audios, videos, to generate a likeness around someone. And then you can create something to then make it seem real. So then if you look into the banking industry and the measures that currently sit in place, this deep fake technology can create ghost fraud, you know, you've got fraudulent claims from deceased persons, you've got the new account application fraud. And then the biggest area seems to be at the moment is this synthetic fraud or identity fraud, where people are combining different identities and real fake stolen information and creating a person who doesn't actually... Exist and then they will go on to open bank accounts. They can money launder. They can get credit. They can get loans and all of this information. But a way to fight back on this is through awareness campaigns and also by increasing the use of biometrics to counter this d- deep fake technology.
0: Within the financial services industry, what would you say are the main catalysts for the rise in fraud cases? From an
1: investigative perspective, you generally would usually use this term of means, motive and opportunity. So if you look at what the means is at the moment of this digital transformation and technology, it provides the means. And there's certainly an inability on the banks and the financial services to adjust to this technology quick enough. And it's not through a want of trying. It's just the fraud technology and the behavioral adaption just can't keep up to pace with how fraudsters are moving forward. Forward. And of course, there's an incubation period uh, prior to a crisis occurring. So if there was a data leak, you know, which will then fuel more fraud occurring. And, you know, you've got to look at the abilities within internally within an organization at Signal Detection to really understand, you know, what is occurring of how technology moves forward and how the fraudsters are, you know, moving that one step ahead. Then you could look at motive. And motive's probably one area to look at could be that fraudsters have had a loss of income in different areas due to COVID. Um, they don't have the means to make money in traditional ways. They could be honest people that have moved into fraud and they're trying to rationalise it in their head that this is the way for them to make money. And then lastly, I'd say is, is probably around the opportunity. People are working from home more, so it gives a gain and um, the ability for the fraudsters to engage with the victims online easier. So when they would have been perhaps at Work before, and they wouldn't be on on personal social media or emails. They're now at home, and they might be jumping between personal stuff and work-related stuff. And of course, banks are offering lower interest rates, so investors are looking at new ways to invest, and so that's going to victims are going to be lured by you know high-return investment schemes. There was a report I recently read, and it said four out of five APAC banks say the introduction of real-time payment platforms in their country has resulted in an increase in fraud losses due to not having the most advanced fraud analytics in place. So I think it confirms what I'm saying around this means-motive opportunity. There's a number of, number of different catalysts, probably a lot more than three, that are contributing to that rise in fraud.
0: How would you attribute the rise of fraud cases? Would you say it's a lack of awareness capability on the part of people and resources, technology, which you alluded to, I mean, the criminals are moving a lot faster than we are. And certainly regulation is another one where you have a lot of inertia or indifference on the part of uh, financial services. Somebody told me that, um, why don't I just buy insurance against fraud just to cover myself? Is that another motive for, for people to consider?
1: Looking at those different factors there, I I think you could probably say there's a mixture of all of those that would attribute to the rise in fraud. So if you look at awareness, first of all, people probably have that feeling, you know, it's not happened to me so far. You know, it's unlikely to happen. You know, that survivorship bias side of I'm immune to it. But awareness is, I think, is an interesting area. And there's within risk, there's a model called the deficit model of risk communication. And it's generally how government governments or organizations and create awareness campaigns to the public, you know, and they will do this as part of becoming, you know, a victim of fraud or terrorism or anything in the world. And generally the key characteristics of this is, you know, it's a model that is there to go out to the masses okay and it treats everybody as a blank canvas so it's basically educating them from you know a very very basic level you know giving them an understanding of what fraud is and it conceives the the public as as one group okay so that they might not be experts in the field or they might have no knowledge around it they just basically state they are one and they will stereotype social media having said that i was reviewing uh, one particular website a banking website here in hong kong that and it was actually hsbc i looked at um, a lot of them hsbc and I'm not pulling HSBC out as one, but I thought HSBC did a very, very good job with good advice, well-written tips and steps to avoid fraud. And there was a part that, that I particularly liked on there was where they spoke about the victim type and Generation Z, Y, and X, and how giving advice to this particular age range of customers and the type of fraud that they would commonly experience within that age group. Additionally, they had a really good definition on social engineering and explaining how to avoid becoming a a victim there's a lot of other banks that are doing great awareness campaigns and i i see this perhaps this deficit model of risk communication is actually evolving and changing and actually looking to be more targeted towards people the next area you said around was capability so capacity building is always a challenge for an organization not only but for the research side but keeping up with the latest trends and then additionally disseminating and keeping your audience engaged within those organizations technology i think you know we've covered already you know i think it's a huge contributor and fact around this and it's actually a help as well as a hindrance um, on, on many levels here. From the lack of regulation side, I'd say, well, the financial services, banking and the insurance industry is probably within the top three most regulated industries in the world, you know, alongside food consumption and uh, logistics and healthcare. Is it really a lack of regulation that exists? I think probably the money that's been spent into the regulation and the coordination of the system globally and that interoperability between different countries and banks, I, I think is probably quite strong. And the last area you mentioned there is the indifference on the part of the financial service business leaders. I think that's probably quite hard to say. I'm sure their objectives are aligned in profitability, trust for the organisation, for their customers and internally. And also they no doubt all want to reduce the risk of fraud if you, if you mention Alan, that 5% of their revenue can be attributed to that fraud risk. So without really taking a deep dive, it'd be difficult to assess if there's a, you know, a misalignment on those business leaders.
0: Fair enough, understand. What needs to happen? And and I'm asking you to look at it from two perspectives, from the regulator's perspective and also from the financial services business uh, perspective. What needs to happen for businesses in the financial services industry to better manage or mitigate the risks that they face this year, 2022?
1: So I think from a regulator perspective, you know, it's keeping up to date with current trends and technology and ensuring probably those alternative investments and brokers that, you know, work on alternative investments or work in the crypto space are covered by the regulations. From a financial services perspective, is adapting to that evolving digital and cyber fraud risk. Generally, it will come down to communication both ways, and then there's uh, having some action to solve the problems. But if you look at placing two stringent fraud prevention measures, that's going to frustrate transactions and it will frustrate customers so I think it's this sort of blended approach.
0: Finally, what is your advice for leaders in the financial services sector to get them ready for 2022 and the potential for fraud cases to rise this year?
1: You know, fraud is a moving target, which means countering fraud complicated. You know, I'm a great believer in sharing of information through collective communication within the industry and no doubt employing people that are more expert than the fraudsters and, you know, the cyber savvy tech criminals who design these new attack methods. So far... Part is about, you know, finding persons that know the tricks of the trade and making sure there's a rotation of that experience internally and keeping it fresh and bringing in perhaps people from other industries, other sectors, and, you know, from the regulator, from government organizations to really give that blend of experience within the organization. Because, you know, you've got to keep moving one step ahead of the direction that fraud's going in. For example, my experience of looking at it takes a very narrow view and someone else's experience would be a narrow view. But it's it's collectively bringing all that information together and the industry benefiting from that internally, from what they've got, from the regulators, investigators and bringing this pool of information together. Because criminals will copy other techniques that have been successful and they'll just adapt them to make them work to the new environment. So, yeah, communication and trying to stay one step ahead.
0: James, thank you for joining us on Podcasts for Future CIO. Thank you. Thank you once again. That was James Ellender, Director with Footroom Research on the topic of fraud risk in the financial services industry in Asia-Pacific. You are listening to Podcasts for Future CIO. As always, if you have a topic you'd like us to cover on this channel, simply email us at editors at society.com. We'd also like to invite you to sign up for a free weekly newsletter so you won't miss an episode of Podchats for Future CIO. In the meantime, stay safe, have a great day, and see you on the next episode of Podchats for Future CIO. Bye for now.